0: The economy is getting back underway, and with it, the world of pro sports. Stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com, and if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, for a limited time, you get a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today.
1: On this episode, we talk about the Mavericks winning Game 2, how much of it is sustainable, and what's going to happen the rest of the series.
2: Makes it a two-point game. Oh, here's your mismatch right here. Now it's Luka. Deep 3
1: oh! Luka Magic! Oh! Take with Welcome to 77 Minutes in Heaven, a Dallas Mavericks podcast that's part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is Tim Cato. I'm the Mavericks beat writer for the Athletic. With me, as always, it's Dave Dufour. Dave, hello. What's up? Not much. Not much. Just a just a Thursday morning, and it's a it's a better Thursday morning because we've got Jake Kemp, the Athletic Zone, the Tickets Zone, many other places own. What's up, Jake?
2: Fellas, first time, long time. <laughs> um, nice. This this is what I call the the day after a game like this is what I call the hater homer or homer hater. Where if you watch a ton of NBA games and say, boy, I don't know, it looks like the Mavs might be able to get one, I'll hedge and say two. Uh, And then after game one, you say, man, it looks like the Clippers didn't even really throw their best punch or anything close to it. The Mavs still lost. Um, I received probably 100 pieces of uh, social media correspondence last night that were like, hater. It's a hater. My like, good grief, man! There's a lot of money in being a hater, though, man. <laughs> I don't want that money. That's blood money. I'm, I'll take <laughs> I'll take the Homer money over that. But yeah, I, and no uncertain terms that I think that the Mavericks would wire to wire dominate the Clippers at any point in this series. Like, even if you thought they'd get two, this is not how you thought they'd get it. So, so I, how- I don't know. Hold on, I'm going to push back on that because sure. I think that Game Two is more of an
0: example of the Mavericks that we were seeing. Before the hiatus. And my, my opinion the entire time was that if we got the January, February, early March version of the Mavericks, that they could play with any team. Any team. And I think that them seeing them in game two is a prime example of that. Now, no Pat Beverly for the Clippers, so maybe it goes a little differently. But I don't really think so. They, they sort of figured that out. I think that... Middle of the first quarter in Game 1 on,
1: it's been an extremely even series so far.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> as long yeah. as
1: Porzingis has been on the floor and not ejected, they've been the better team. They've looked like the better team. It is if you told me, yeah, there's one team that is a title favorite. Um, you know, there's one team on the floor that has two two stars, and, and that's the reason why people think they might win the finals here in a month or two or however this uh, the schedule works. You know, I would think it's the Mavericks. Like, like out of the two teams, that's the one that looks that good. Well, game one though, Paul
0: George did look like an NBA player versus, yeah. you know, uh, you know. A I'm not saying starter. that's
1: what the Mavericks actually are, and and I think what is probably important to talk about um, is like how they could screw this up in game three. You know, what is going to change that is going to even the series out a little bit. I'm just saying that you know, from from that after that rough start in game one, you talked about mm-hmm. um, until the ejection. And then for the entirety of game two, there has been one dominant team in the this, in this series, and it's been the Mavericks, and that is probably not what we expected, and, and you know what Jake took three hours, I'm sure, last night replying to every single hate mail and email <laughs> and, and reply that you know he, uh, he got because uh,
0: social media correspondence,
2: which mm, is yeah. a fantastic way of putting that. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to narrow cast to Twitter, right? That's what they tell us. You know, there's uh, like uh, 5 billion people on Facebook. But I guess what I more mean is that I didn't think that the Mavericks could win a game where, now they did shoot it well from three, and the Clippers had a interesting defensive coverage for the threes in game two, but they only hit 13 of them. Luka only plays, what, nine minutes in the second half. If you just told me those two things, I would have said, you're not winning that game. And that's why I was even starting to waffle a little bit from game one to game two on the do you go back to Seth in the starting lineup? I mean, Maxi did a pretty good job on Kawhi as well as you could be expected in game one, but did that did they cost him offensively? They stuck with what they had. They didn't shoot just an insane number of threes below their season average and still led wire to wire. So that's what I more mean in that you know, I, I thought they were just gonna have to blitz the Clippers in a game or two. To, to kind of sneak one out. Instead, they 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 clamped down defensively and they just thoroughly dominated them with, with Luka and foul trouble. I mean, that I certainly did not see coming, even based on January, February, and March. But I think an interesting thing from the Clippers' standpoint is we keep, you know, uh, holding up their record whenever they're they're all there. And is it 10-1 and 1 now? You know, there's just been so few games where they've had their full complement. At some point, you have to say, well, that might actually be You know, hang a banner, but that might be a detriment to them. The fact that they haven't had their full complement. Yeah, they're great when they have them, but yet again last night we see, you know, Montrezl Harrell still starting to work back and Pat Bev still unable to go. So at some point it's like, hey, that's cool, but you kind of look like a team that hasn't all played together because you haven't. Offensively, they look like a bunch of dudes
0: just out there. Almost playing like pickup. Yes. Right? Like there's yeah. no cohesion whatsoever. Defensively, you know, you, you talked about how the Mavs didn't really shoot a lot of threes, but they were getting whatever they wanted inside because I think that, that the Clippers kind of overcorrected. They helped too much in game one. When, when, the, when the Mavs were rolling, it was because the Clippers just were overhelping and being caught out of position, in particular around a three-point line. And in this game, they weren't helping enough, right? Like there was no balance. It was completely the opposite end of the spectrum. And I mean, the Mavericks got ten extra points in the paint in this game, and it was it was a big difference.
1: Well, well Dave, so so take that one step further. What what in game three? You know, as as you're you're the you're the league roaming league person on this podcast. Um, you know, if you're the Clippers, what what are you changing? What are you going into game three and saying? You know, other than personnel, because I do think right. Patrick Beverly's absence is huge. They just don't have yeah. guards who can dribble and pass. Um, you know, when if you only have one guard who can do that, Lou Williams, you know, and in, in Beverly's absent, that, that does clearly affect them. But, you know, other than personnel, um, you know, what are you fixing? What are you changing?
0: Well, if I'm the Clippers, I'm really not changing much, right? Like talent normally wins in the NBA. Paul George is not going to... <laughs> maybe at least <laughs> not going to go for 17 B. again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, two of 10 from three from one of the best shooters in the league, like legitimately one of the best shooters in the league it is just not going to happen very often. He also was in foul trouble. And, and I almost, I feel like after not scoring in the first half, he was pressing really, really hard in the second half. Like you'd almost see it and, and you can see the frustration bubbling up. I don't expect that out of Paul George again. But but Beverly being able to dribble and initiate the offense and allow Paul George to come off screens when Kawhi is not standing up at the top of the key, you know, there is a little bit of a of a a method to the ISO madness that the Clippers tend to run, and I do think missing Pat Beverly hurts them quite a bit. But on the defensive end is is where they miss him the most because even though his traps aren't going to be necessarily effective against Luca as we saw after he had the five turnovers in the first six minutes of game one. we, you know, I'm pretty sure he's kind of figured that out. That annoying pressure that Bev can provide because he just seems to never run out of energy, I think that's important because they want to wear Luka down. I mean, Luka played 28 minutes in this game because he was in foul trouble, but they want him to, to play 30 but exhausted for 10 of those, and, and Pat Beverly is a huge part of that.
2: Yeah, and I think he also lets those other guys, you know, whether it's conserve energy on the other end, it just, it's having to carry your team offensively and track Luka uh, is a problem. And that's why when you go into this series, you look at everybody that the Clippers have that they can throw at Luka, and most of those guys haven't been all that effective, right? I mean, I I was kind of expecting Jermichael Green to be a factor, uh, and he really hasn't uh, on Luka. And so. Yeah, I, I. How about Kawhi? Kawhi, yeah. Luca's he, not bothered by him at all. No, no. And and then on the flip side of things, you know, I, I on one hand, like I went back and watched the Paul George uh, shots from this from last night, this morning, and yeah, I I don't see another game. And I'd be interested if there's been a game in his career, uh, let's just say the playoffs, where he where he took a zero and a half. Um, but yeah, I I don't. You cannot expect more of the same from Paul George like you're just playing the chalk and figuring that there's going to be a game where he just busts you for 40 and that's it's it's tough to for me to imagine the Mavericks to 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 keep up with that offensively uh, if in fact they are going to go uh, with the the lineup that they went with last night Tim the bench has been huge man all year I think
0: and game one the bench wasn't there and game two they were Tim like do, do you think that the bench can keep this up because i think that's going to be the question of the series if the if the mavs bench can do what they did in game 2 i think they can win the series
1: yeah well even first to take that one step back which which directly leads to the bench but but i i like the starting lineup i i think that the the starting lineup does give up you know offense, like like you're saying, Jake. It, it clearly does. If if you're gonna take out Seth Curry, you know, for anyone, it's gonna it's you're gonna you're gonna lose some offense there. But I I like that five, and and also you saw at down down the stretch that they would take out Finney Smith and put Seth in, um, and then it's really just a life for like replacement. You're saying that Claybo is the the better option to to guard Kawhi, and that scenario, but but you're still gonna keep us another ball handler on the floor and Curry, um, to to provide that extra offense. You know, I I think that that makes sense, and I think. You know the the idea is that you know you can you can re- maintain enough of what the makes the offense great because Kleber is still a good enough shooter uh, to get that done. Although I do wonder if at some point the 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 Clippers are going to just leave him open and dare him to shoot. Um, his shot did not look good in, in the two shots he took uh, yesterday. But but yeah, I, I wonder I, I wonder if if you can you can do enough to keep that offense you know flowing, keep the rhythm going, but but also have you know two you know your best two defenders out there. And, and Kleber and Finney-Smith and, and, and Porzingis, you know, a, able to, to you know, do enough to to roam and, and be a rim protector. um, You know, I wonder if that's just a, it's a, you're, what you're trying to do is just balance the two and you're trying to mold the two. And obviously all, all season Dallas has been offense first and defense, you know, uh, you know, somewhere behind that. Optional. As, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, whether, whether they need it or not, you know, it, it might show up against certain matchups, it might not. And. You know, they're not going to be a top 10 defensive team with, with, even with this lineup against this team either. But it it gives them a fighting chance to actually be able to guard the, the, the two stars with two nominally good defenders. And, and my, my idea for this, for this lineup, and, and my idea, you know, I think I wrote this in, in the, in the preview that, that I, that I wrote for this series was not that it was going to outscore them by, you know, 10 points per 100 possessions throughout the entire seven games as as the Mavericks went to a seven-game series win or something like that. I, I just wanted that lineup to play them even. You know, I just wanted the starting lineup to be a, a, a net zero, a minus two, a plus two on a game-by-game basis. And then it does come to the bench. And I, coming into the series, I didn't see any way for the bench to outplay the Clippers with the caveat that Rick Carlisle coached teams always have benches that outplay other benches and i wasn't quite sure how he was going to do it but that was in the back of my head as an option and well you look at this damn he's doing it again he's doing it with the bobon he's doing it with trey burke who's just like this quick twitch you know can beat his first guy in a, in a in a first with a with his first step and when nobody's at the rim that means it's a layup you know and, and delon wright looked better last night you know the the kid Gilchrist magic wasn't happening, but it was happening in game one, and that's the thing about Rick. He just like he finds this way to get like just these bursts of magic from role players, whether it's Kid Gilchrist or or Boban, you know, who arguably he should play even more, with as effective as he was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I would be shocked if JJ Barrett doesn't enter a game at some point, um, like probably in the next two, and and well, not not only enter but knowing him and knowing Carlisle, he'll make an impact.
0: All right, so let's talk about the Bobon thing because I have said that I think that he should play a little bit more. I actually liked the way that Carlisle used Bobon against Trez Harrell. I thought it was, you know, conventionally, you wouldn't think putting a slow footed, you know, gigantic guy out there against a small center who is really well known for being able to just fly up and down the court would be a problem. But. Boban's so big that he really caused huge problems for Harrell I I thought he like pretty much erased him from the game when he was out
1: there
2: yeah I think uh of his eight attempts I think seven of them and if I'm not mistaken five of the makes were with Zubats on the bench so that was a nice counter there that they went right to him um within a minute or so of Zubats checking out there in in the first quarter and yeah you're right I mean you just watch the way that Boban plays Trez I mean he just hangs back, right? You know, if, if, you have right. A, if you have a a big with even a skosh of shooting, it's a huge problem for Boban because he's not recovering. Um, but yeah, he just hangs in the paint and then, you know, that kind of just, it kind of takes Montrez out of the game, at least in the half-court offense uh, for the Clippers. So, uh, you know, to go back to the start of the season, my thought on the you know should Boban play more when every every time he checks into the game and, and has an impact you you hear about it from from fans it's just uh, you just got to find minutes whenever you, when Pal's healthy and they're they're really hard to find but now you know I, I have no problem with him being out there for for fourteen fifteen minutes um, now if you guys want to get away from from the game for a second and ask whether or not it makes any sense to to ask Luca about a nineteen fifties um television show and a nickname from it uh yeah lucas never seen the adams family dude <laughs> like he's not going to start calling bobon you rang <laughs> that was that was so great <laughs>
0: Yeah, I uh, I actually was like, what is he talking about? And then I realized, oh yeah, he's talking about Lurch.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah. You know that, yeah, that's yeah. very topical for a European from uh, a show from seventy years ago. But I mean, he, I don't know, man. You'd be surprised
0: about, at what they what they watched over there uh, back in the eighties. But he just about lost
1: but, it on me too. So yeah. Bobon, every it's a generational coach, thing more yeah. than a. Yeah.
2: Come on Every now.
0: coach that has coached Boban says, after the fact, they have one regret: I didn't play him more. Right. He is like, by the numbers, one of the most impactful and efficient players to ever play in the NBA. Now, granted, he doesn't play much, right? Like, so it's not like he's playing forty minutes a night and and putting up the the numbers that he does. But you have to think, listen, he, he was plus 12 in this game. Single game plus minus doesn't mean a lot, but it does mean that your team won the minutes you were on the court, which as a basketball coach I care about. Bobon wins the minutes that he's on the court. I don't know that he needs to be a 30-minute-a-game player, but certainly they could find a way to get him to 15 or 16 minutes a game You know, in this series, and they already have the blueprint. They know that he works really well when Harrell's out there. I think he could he can be effective even when Zubac is out there because, again, you're not worried about Zubac or Harrell spacing the floor at all. So he can just hang back, eat up space in the lane. It, it, it's probably a, a, a huge upgrade for them defensively as far as the amount of energy they have to expend. They can actually save some energy for the offensive end because they have Boban back there to erase mistakes here and there. Now, he's not... He's not going to come in and, and windshield wipe a whole lot of shots, but he at least is a force and a presence around the basket that guys have to take into account when they're trying to get there. And, and I just think 10 minutes is not enough. And, and, you know, they maybe they were lucky to to get a plus 12 out of him in 10 minutes, but
1: I'd certainly be trying to see how many minutes I could get away with. with well, yeah, Mont- Montrose Harrell played 22 and so there, there's clearly more opportunity for them to do that if, if if they chose, and and it makes sense. Like Harrell is perhaps you know more reliant on just physicality than any player in the league. Mm-hmm. Like that is what he does. He is you know he is he has touch around the basket, but he is just overwhelmingly strong and and quick and you know aggressive. But he is not moving Boban. Um, you know it's a it's a unique player for him to try to play against and he clearly hasn't figured it out it also helped that he went four of ten on on free throws so you know when Boban did yeah. foul him you know Harrell wasn't wasn't converting I think he's closer to 70 percent in the regular season so you know if that if that were to not remain the case I think that that's a you know that's a that's a strike against Boban I also remember I was a little that,
2: surprised they didn't try to put him in the pick and roll a little bit more like I, right. I wonder yeah. if once you edge up to 15 to 20 minutes if you start to see that a little bit more you know, where they try to drag him out and I was a little bit surprised I guess I'd have to go back and watch you know his stretch there in the first and second quarter but they did they didn't seem to be targeting him at all
1: there was there was one play where George went over and shot a shot a pull up three and Harold ran over George's defender it was one of the shots George mm-hmm. actually made um and and it got called back but it was a situation Off, where it was a, foul, a pick yeah. and roll and bobon was was a drop coverage and he was too far back and George was able to get you know two feet planted and rise up for a three. Um, you know, that's that's how you that's how you're eventually going to hurt Boban. When that's he's on the, the counter on the court. Yeah, that's game three. Yeah. yeah, for sure. That's game three.
0: I actually, you know, part of me wonders if if the Clippers were a little bit too cool for school in this game. And that's maybe that's why they wound up losing. Not to take away from what the Mavs did, because 48 minutes of of good center play, which is what the Mavericks got in game two. That's hard to come by. Period. In the NBA. I mean, that's difficult. And so, you know, I guess the question going forward is, do we think they can string that together, consecutive games? Because they're not going to do it every game in this series, but can they do it? You know, game two they got it. Can they do it again in game three, given the Clippers' countermeasures?
1: Well, well, who who are you talking like? From you're saying ten minutes. I'm saying to Boban.
0: Porzingis, Boban, and and Maxi. Well, that was I mean, the Porzingis is gonna be fine. at center, but
1: but yeah. Um, yeah, I guess let's see what Ma- you're Maxie
0: was good. Maxie was good despite going 2-5 of five from the field. Right. I thought his energy was great. Obviously, his defense. I mean, he had a couple Let- of plays there where he was just in the play and making stuff happen without even necessarily – he was affecting the play without racking up a stat. He didn't get a rebound. He got he tipped the ball around. Mavs wound up getting it, getting a put back.
1: Then he when comes when back he's on guarding the Kawhi – all, all yeah. I would want from him is to say every four shots you give up on Kawhi, one of them you really force him into a crazy contested look, and that's what, that's about what he does. Like, like I, mm-hmm. I don't think they're gonna do much better than Kawhi. Like, don't don't let him in layups. You know, if let's say let's say four possessions, if if you give up one layup every four possessions, every four shot you give up on him, okay, it's gonna happen. If, if the other well, you're two to give up
0: shots to Kawhi though, yeah, that's and, the and thing. If the other Kawhi's two are, like, gonna get just, his thirty.
1: Yeah, Kawhi's going to get to his mid-range spots, and there's nothing you can do about that. But, but Maxi does have an ability to really force him you know, to, to like a turnaround, fader away situation. Or I, I want to say Maxi's one block was a, was a direct shot-release block, or maybe it was somebody else on the help side. Uh, but there was, a, there was another possession where, where he really forced him into a, a tough look. Like, that's, that's all you're asking. Like you said, he's going to get 30. Kawhi's going to get 30 every night. You know, you're just asking that you know every four possessions or so, every four shots or so, you know, it's it's not a shot that is in Kawhi's spot. It's it's one that he's being forced to take because he's being defended as well as he is, and he did that really well. He also led the team in rebounds. He had three assist. I, I like this lineup is. Uh, I, I didn't expect them to go to the starting lineup so soon, but I did expect the starting lineup. I, I wrote that, and you know, I, it's it's what they'll keep doing. Like I, I don't see any reason to change it. Certainly now, you know, like you're you're sold on it too, right now, Jake.
2: Yeah, definitely. Now, as far as wrinkles go, I was kind of surprised that you didn't see JJ uh, last night, particularly maybe in the second half and Lucas in foul trouble. But that's one thing you can offer off the bench. Um, another thing that's that, that, speaking of that 48 minutes of, of center play, the Clippers can't defend KP without fouling him right now. Uh, right. Him taking eight free throws in the second half, I mean, Harold just doesn't have an answer for him without fouling him. And if Porzingis is going to knock down his free throws, I mean, he had 13 in the second half last night, and six of them came at the line. Like, that's if Luke is not in the game for whatever reason, be it rest or foul trouble. um, You know, I think we talked about this, or someone wrote this maybe before the series started. It's not like I wanted them to dump the ball to him with 20 seconds on the clock and have him just back somebody down, but he absolutely is a problem, them trying to guard him in the mid range and in the paint. So it might not be as attractive as him pulling up from 32 or whatever, but. He's a problem for them, and if he's he's knocking down foul shots, I I think you can get even more out of him. You know, I mean, especially since he's only played, you know, three halves in this series. He's going to have a game where he just goes where he goes for thirty plus. Oh, I think he's got a forty point game in him in this series. And I the
0: free throws—that's a great point that you just made. So I wouldn't be posting him up in in the low post, but certainly you can run stuff off of him in the high post, in the mid post, and. I would have him facing up some in the mid-range on the wing. Just ISO him out, especially when you're trying to create offense with without Luka on the court. Space him out. Go, go Porzingis and shooters, which they did and did well in Game 2, and let him just work a little bit as a face-up guy. Get some easy ones at the, at the free-throw line. The refs are calling everything. So... Might as well go ahead and get some easy buckets out of it. You know he can put it on the floor. You know he can, he's can. he got the touch to hit that little jump shot, so teams have to defend him there. They You can't just sag off of him like Trez Harrell. I, I'm right there with you. I think a little bit more of that, that mid-range face-up game from Porzingis,
2: and the game gets a little bit easier. Dude, there's a he, play at the end of the game when it was already over where uh, the Clippers decided to trap, I think, Curry, it might have been hard away. The game was there's only minute fifteen left in this, but <laughs> uh KP is so open from the free throw line and it's just easy money. Like if he just turns around and, and drills that. And there was one in the first quarter where he had an opportunity like that as well. I mean, he's 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 not missing that shot much.
1: He needs to face up more. Like every time that he posts up and, and tries a one footed dirk fade, it just it's infuriating because he has so much better options in that exact space. Like if he wants to live in that space, like he did in New York, I'm okay with that in limited, in limited possessions and limited sample sizes, uh, you know, as, as he can do it effectively and he can do it way more effectively just by turning around, not having his back to the basket because he doesn't need to be turning or fading or twisting or, you know, one, one footed, anything Dirk reminiscence because he's not Dirk, but, but he is a lethal taller, you know, shooter like that. That's the, that's the thing about like, like people guard him with smaller players because he can't move them, you know. Dirk didn't always get that. You know, Dirk obviously Dirk got that treatment. But but you know, he he so often has smaller players on him, and he has three more inches than Dirk did. He can just shoot over them. It's so easy for him. He is he is a you know a th- these players come up to his chest like like he just has to put his arms up and and he is shooting over them, and that is a fine shot. You saw it actually in the in the seating game between the Mavericks and the Clippers. He hit must he must have hit like four or five of those shots. You know where it was. You know, and, and, and if he was turning, it wasn't like in the air turn. It was like I'm I'm pivoting, and then I'm taking you know, then I'm going up for a jumper, and I'm fine with those shots, and and especially you know the deeper positioning he gets, the the more effective it is, and, and the more the Mavericks can make Zubac and Harrell ineffective, and really you know I I wonder if if the Clippers you know I I think that an adjustment has to be. Less centers and, and more, you know, trying Jamichael Green at, at the five if, if they continue to struggle. And right. when they do that's that, a, when they do that, that's it's, a great it's Porzingis. Point. Yeah.
0: So, uh, I, what I'll say is, I, I like when Porzingis gets someone smaller than him and he's looking to attack. But early on, he got a switch with Paul George on him and he just tried to post him up just in the middle of the paint. Yeah. That's
2: yeah. not yeah, that's a what mismatch. I'm talking about. Yeah. That's yeah, what that's I'm talking not a about. That's the stuff. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, quit quit going for those. Face up on Paul George because again, we just saw what happens when Paul George gets in foul trouble. You know, he had four first half fouls, he finished the game with four fouls, but he played frustrated for the entire second half. I mean, Paul George is one of the best shooters in the league and he was taken out of this game mentally. Because they were just putting fouls on him. And I think that, you know, while I hate foul hunting on principle as a basketball purist to a certain degree, I mean, I'm a radical basketball purist. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm all about taking 30 footers. But uh, I do think that given the fact that the referees are being so liberal with the whistle and Porzingis is so good at drawing contact, especially on his little rip through, you might as well feed into that. I mean, go to. Kawhi Leonard
2: shot 14 free throws last night. You're telling me Porzingis can't do the same? And that's why the the play after or the play for Porzingis after the one that you were referencing there that was kind of yuck. Uh it was a side inbounds play where Maxi screened for for KP and had mm-hmm. the, the one bounce dunk. Like you can give me that all day because he's going to get fouled or he's going to put it home. And that was a. I don't think he gets nice. enough of those opportunities. I don't. By the way. He doesn't. Yeah, I've always. He can started. work
0: the. D, he can work the DHO. Yeah. Like we we've all watched Bam Adebayo look like a magician in the DHO. Jakob Purtle <laughs> looks like a magician in the DHO. I think Porzingis could could be right there with those two as far as faking DHO. His ability to put the ball on the floor. I mean, he's like a guard. He's not. He doesn't have Kevin Durant seven-foot handles, but his handle's pretty good. And and I think that trusting him a little bit more as a playmaker will will increase the ceiling of this team. His passing has been fantastic during all the seeding games. Use him. Use him as a hub of the offense, especially when Luka's off the court. You know, you can't expect Seth Curry to do what he did last night. You can't expect Trey Burke to do what he did last night. You can expect Porzingis to do more than what he did. I think that that's what we need to see in Game 3 is more Porzingis.
2: That's another yeah. thing about having Maxi out there with KP too, is that they do have some nice wrinkles to their offense with Maxi screening for Porzingis away from the ball, mm-hmm. and you're not getting that if Seth's out there in the starting lineup. I mean, there's really no one else to set a screen outside of maybe Dodo.
1: Yeah, I, I like I like the bigger starting lineup for for that. I like it for you know the, the defensive reasons we talked about it. I like because Zubach, I, I think you know Zubac still played 18 minutes. Like I think that's one of the reasons that they're able to neutralize them more than they did. Like you know I'm I'm sure. Mavs fans are still having nightmares about that twenty-one points, ten of ten shooting he had in the in the seeding game, but but it, like it's for for a team that's playing a five-out offense with a big man who's shooting from thirty feet, they have no business also being big the bigger lineup than than an opponent, and they can do that with Cleber with Cleber, and and that's just like that's the insanity of of the players they have and. And you know the 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 reaches of modern basketball and how far far it's gone just just among players themselves and and their skill sets. So
2: and, and with starting Maxi, my only pushback on Dave would be, yeah, you definitely cannot expect Trey Burke to do that again because the Trey Burke, as we've seen, giveth and taketh away. But I do think you can expect that from Seth Curry. And the only thing you might J- not be able to expect is him getting 15 on one made three. Like well, that's it, what I it mean. It still right? feels, uh, yeah. yeah, like just him hitting in the mid range, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, but late in the game, there, you know, KP screening for him was was pretty effective with Luca out, but you still have to figure there's a game where in this series where Seth hits six or seven threes. Yeah, probably. Uh, but so that's I actually, that yeah, I wanted to take Trey us there Burke next. would
0: be the one I wouldn't be relying yeah, on for sure. It makes but me very Seth's, nervous. <laughs> Seth's defense, I thought, uh, should be pointed out quite a bit too. Um, often. Guarding guys way bigger than him on a switch. Thought he did pretty well. You know, he caught Marcus Morris. Yeah, he had those back to back fouls where he caught Marcus Morris. You know, Marcus Morris hits him with the shoulder and somehow gets the foul call. And then the offensive foul call at the other end. And normally you you see a guy kind of get out of it when it when that kind of stuff happens. Thought he did a good job staying in the game and c- continuing to put pressure on the defense when he had the ball. Uh but but Burke was fantastic. I just they are going to have to find a way to, to make that bench be consistent instead of, hey, Burke just went off for 16, and and Seth, I think he had, what, 13, 15? It was a big 15, though. Yeah. So you need to Team find a way plus to— 30 for Seth. Right. Can, can they get a little bit more, you know, if JJ plays, can they get, you know, 8 to 10 out of JJ? Can right. they get, you know, a couple more out of DeLon Wright? Uh, you know, stuff stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I think I think the only question for the offense is, you know, we we saw what would happen in Game One if if they overhelped on on the rolling big men, and it was just a a deluge of threes, um, and that the team could do that, and then they really stayed home on the shooters in this game. Um, the Mavericks only got off twenty nine of them. They they made thirteen. You know, that's that's the that's that's also going to happen. But you know, there was there's a lot of mid range uh, to make up for that. You know, between Seth and and Hardaway and and. Uh, KP had a couple and, and Luca's floaters and stuff like that. But you know, I think they had a fairly sustainable offensive performance last night if they're gonna stay that home on the shooters, if they strike that balance, if they're able to strike a balance between, you know helping appropriately but not just willingly giving up open threes, you know that this is you know this is the best defense in the, the second best defense in the league in, in the regular season like there is a way they can limit Dallas a bit more than they have in either of the first two games with perfect defensive performances um but this team is capable of that uh is it's, you know how how do they adjust to that or is there an adjustment it's just a matter of okay you know this is this is one of the best defenses in the league with with some of the best defenders and you know they're just going to have to win while scoring 123 points, 120, you know, or let's say 112 points or something like that. Like, is, is that the only option they have?
0: Probably. Yeah. They, I mean, they're, <laughs>
1: this team, this team is built on
0: to score. Um, it's score and tread water on defense. And if they can tread water and their offense clicks, like it did in game two hell, even like it did in game one, I thought the offense was mostly fine. Um, you know, minus missing KP uh, if their offense is going to click like we know it can, and they can tread water defensively like they did in January and February, then I don't see any reason why this doesn't at least go six or seven games with a chance that the Mavs can still pull this
2: out. And from a Clippers yeah. defending the Mavs standpoint, um, you know, I think what they're built on is that they're so strong individually and they're so long individually and versatile that that's the the sell on their defense, right? The switching, they can keep Luke, Luka out of the paint while still sticking to shooters. So for me, just in watching them through the first two games, the Clippers need way more, not schematically, they need more individually because Kawhi to me has been basically a non-factor defensively, at least relative to his standards. Trez is getting eaten up by, by KP. Uh, Lou Williams was bad and Pat Bev is hurt. So I don't know that there's a, and Marcus Morris wasn't even really too much of a factor defensively last night um, in affecting, you know, shots like you'd expect from him. So for me, for the Clippers, their only adjustment is just individually they have to play up to their standard. And I would say they haven't for more than a couple, two, three minute stretch through 96 minutes.
1: Yeah. Or alternately, maybe Luka Doncic when he's hitting threes is really the best offensive player in the world. Which yeah, but as we know, that case. that could also <laughs>
2: that's fleeting, right? And I'm not yes. I'm I'm not ready to sit here and say I've turned the corner on Luka as a shooter. That might oh, be a, no, a couple no, of years no. from now. Um, but yeah, you know, I think saver
1: save games last night, like last night when he goes four of seven, certainly it's, for uh,
2: for sure. And I think the other thing about that is, is I do it does seem like he knows that he's he's starting to sort of get a better feel for the fact that he's not a great shooter, at least through the last couple weeks. You know. Like I've seen him turn down shots that he absolutely would have taken eight months ago in this, like in, in these two games, I've seen him look, look at a look and say, all right, we could probably get something a little better here. And they have.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anybody got closing thoughts beyond that? I think the Clippers are taking game three. That's my, that's my closing thought
2: uh yeah again I think that's probably the chalk because I just don't Mm -hmm. see a scenario where you have Paul George scoring zero points in a half and then only hitting for 14 in the second half um and and the Mavericks somehow getting you know 13 of Seth's 15 in the second half uh you have to figure that there's just some normalization where where PG puts it together and the Mavericks are unable to get as much from their worker bees but you know, I don't think there's going to be a game in this series where the Clippers just run them off the floor. I think we've but, seen that the Mavericks absolutely belong and are, you know, as you said several times, Tim, they're way closer to the third best team in the West than the seventh, and they're playing like it.
1: The Mavericks also go home for
2: Game Three and Game Four, <laughs> and we know how bad they've been at home. <laughs> yeah, but the series doesn't start until the uh, road team wins a game. So now we, we now it's officially a series. Oh wow. Wow, all the cliches are <laughs> yep. uh, in yep. force. Yep, <laughs> you can't we can't abandon them no
1: matter no matter the L- Lando experience. <laughs> all right, Jake, thanks for coming on. Uh, surprised it's taken so long to to get you on here, but um, but uh, always a pleasure. Anytime, or, fellas. I'm I'm fan. gonna blame
0: Tim for that. By the oh, way, oh yeah, it's absolutely Tim's my fault. fault.
2: Yeah, he'll freeze me out. That's fine. I,
1: I I was yeah. I I wanted to take a a, a post up fade away. You know, one footer when I could have just been facing up the entire time. Oh, look at that. Analogy, man. Yeah. All All right. right. Thanks, fellas. Uh, (laughs) Thanks, guys. Uh, We'll be back next week at some point. You know, hopefully still talking about a series that is ongoing and competitive. Oh, my God.